in a world where every diet you know is wrong. Well, not every diet. I mean... Yes, but almost every doesn't sound as good. Yeah, but... Shut up. One man stands alone. Well, not completely. I mean... It's time for Adam Martin, the No Breakfast Guy. And let's talk fast. Fasting, fitness, and fat loss. What's going on, guys, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Let's Talk Fast podcast. I'm your host, Adam Martin, more commonly known as the No Breakfast Guy, and I hope you're doing what you love with the people that you love, and let's just jump straight into it. So always happy to have a guest rather than having to speak to a blank screen myself and producing content for this podcast, and uh, i got a really, really good guest uh, today, which I'm really excited to chat to because Melbourne, as many of you will uh, be aware of who listen to this uh, podcast, because I know most of my audience is from Melbourne, um, has just come out of a pretty dark uh, lockdown. And I think uh, our guest today has a very unique perspective on that, being a doctor himself and someone who specializes in psychiatry. And I'm sure I'm glazing over your qualifications far too quickly. And you can certainly let us know much more about yourself there. But uh, Kieran, welcome to the show, mate. And uh, thanks for your time. No, thank you so much, mate. And that was a perfect level of gloss there. That was a <laughs> that was a nice intro. So you summed it up pretty well. Thank I you. think um, you know, your your level of uh, you know schooling and things like that. I don't want to kind of just put that down and what you've been through on the obviously your <laughs> career path, but just to let everyone know, kind of yeah, you know, I guess where you, who you are, where you've come from, and I guess yeah, what your area and what your day to day looks like. Yeah, no, I can give a bit of a nutshell of, of my life as a mental health doc. Um, so as you said, I'm a, I'm a medical doctor, but I'm specializing in psychiatry. Um, so mental health is my thing. Um, and I'm at the moment working in a public hospital in um, Melbourne City. And I've been living here for about three years now. You can probably tell from my terrible, mixed up, weird accent that I'm originally from, from Kiwi Shores. Um, so I've been here a wee while now uh, and yeah, moved through a psychology degree before medical school and then medicine and then my junior doctor years. And now I'm just a few months shy of popping out the other end as a, as a fully grown psychiatrist. So um, I'm 32, so it's safe to say that I have been studying most of my life so far um but yeah like you say this is um, what I love it's what I love talking about writing about um and I do quite a bit of that on the mental health advocacy side too um so yes I'm just so uh humbled to to join you today for a chat about all this stuff mate because there's been a lot of a lot of stuff to chat about mental health going on so (laughs) yeah I mean it's I mean it's a growing topic well before this year um Mm. even came about anyway and it's something that's becoming more of interest of mine, not because I don't think it was uh, important before, but mm-hmm. it's just dealing more and more with clients uh, yeah. in the health space. Uh, being an exercise physiologist, I primarily for most of my career have dealt with people who had car accidents coming mm-hmm. back from knee, you know, knee ops or hip ops yeah. or whatever it might be. Yeah. Never yeah. really kind of had to worry about the mental health aspect. There was a little bit of obviously mm-hmm. getting people back to, you know, pre-injury yeah. level, but the last four or five years since writing my book and diving into the obesity, overweight and that health mm-hmm. space there, seeing much more of the mental health aspect that goes along with uh, being overweight and that kind of area. And so it's just become more of an interest of mine and I'm always yeah. looking to learn more and you know talk to people who know a hell of a lot more about it than I do so I can mm-hmm. potentially pass on you know, and share your information, but also just my own clients to be a better and more empathetic practitioner to someone rather than you're overweight, we'll just eat less and move more. You know, that was mm. who I was 15 years ago and just a mm. punk yeah. coming out of university. Yeah. <laughs> um, and now I hope that I'm a much more empathetic uh, practitioner than I was there. So yeah. to no, yourself. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? It's, um, and, and that's what I am geared up about and, and get fired up about as well is, you know, there's this traditional way that we separate physical health from mental health, like you say, um, and whether it's recovering from a knee injury, which you were working in initially, or now working with clients in terms of fitness and weight loss and metabolic health, you know, you can never fully untangle any of those things from mental health. Um, and the really um, 
amazing thing that I've seen in the last few years, particularly that the pandemic has just highlighted, has been our, our kind of acceptance of that, I think, on a larger level in, in our communities. You know, we're sort of starting to wake up to the fact that it's not just about what's going on down here in our body or, or, or you know, in the fitness world. It's not just about abs and booties and biceps and whatnot. It's, it's actually about what's going on up here and that's just as important and, and a big part of it as well. So, yeah, I love that, mate. That's, that's what I'm all about too. I don't want to... How do I can say this as politically correct as I can possibly say? Is it working with doctors 15 years ago as a clinician trying to get my network up and have GPs mm-hmm. referred to? And working with the old school of doctors is probably the best way I can probably say that. Is that mm-hmm. I never felt that bedside manner, em- empathetic kind of view coming from the old mm-hmm. school of doctors coming through. It was mm-hmm. here's your medication. I don't want to hear anything else about it. There's no need for exercise, isn't it? Like that was kind of the mm-hmm. general. It wasn't always, but it was kind of the general gist. And mm-hmm. moving forward, I'm seeing obviously much more younger doctors, the new yeah. crop that are coming through. Yeah. I say that from me, from my side of it, for you being in that field yourself, mm. do you see that yourself in kind of you know, the peers that you know have been in the industry for 30, 40 years? Are they someone that are, are they changing a little bit or is it just the new, new, new crop that are coming through that are changing the scene? How have you seen mental health grow in the medical profession? Yeah, I mean, even in the medical sphere, we've still got a way to go. You know, in the, in the community, in the world at large, there's still a lot of stigma around mental health. It's still really misunderstood. There's a lot of stereotypes about what it means to have a mental illness or struggle with your mental health. And some of those things are still within medicine itself as well you know i think just as you referred to there mate like the traditional western medicine model of of kind of 50 years ago um was very kind of doctor focused rather than patient focused in terms of you know the doctor knew what was right the doctor wrote the prescription and and that was that uh and mental health and physical health were very separated you know in the more old school style of medicine whereas i think culturally the world and then medicine alongside it is shifting just as we said we're kind of we're bringing in more aspects of kind of eastern philosophy to western medicine you know we're we're integrating mental health into areas of physical medicine more and and I think in general that that medicine as a whole is just shifting to really acknowledge the the power that is there when you connect with the person and the patient and you're not just kind of telling them what to do and sitting there in the doctor's chair saying you need to do this I know right and you know nothing it's more of like a collaborative kind of um venture now i think in most areas of medicine um and yeah i think uh like i say definitely zero offense whatsoever to my bosses who um you know hopefully don't send me packing if they hear this but you know i think the i think the younger generation of doctors coming through you know who have been born in a society which is much more kind of holistic and integrated and things you know i think they are bringing that that feeling through to medicine which which as a mental health doctor is is just you know really pretty inspiring and pretty awesome for, for me to see and feel as well I'm, I'm interested in your kind of perspective in that the reason i came across you and you're sitting here now is that i was able to reach out to you on social media and mm. I, I mean i wouldn't see i mean i haven't come across but i wouldn't see many 50 60 year old docs who are in the medical profession mm. or as a surgeon or anything like that on social media, whereas you're yeah. very prominent on social media. You post a lot of information on there and some great information. And I always say this, but everyone's, you know, your show notes uh, and your details will be down in the show notes below. So if anyone wants to reach Thank out you, to you, they'll all be there. But have you found that that's been a net positive having social mm-hmm. media around for you and your profession, but you mm-hmm. also personally, um, or has it been a net negative having social media in the world? Yeah, I mean, that's such an interesting question, mate, because it's such a topical thing within the medical community at the moment. There are more doctors, particularly, as you say, the the younger generation of doctors on social media, online, working within the media. uh, And and that's a bit of a hot topic, you know, because A, it's, it's outside of those traditional kind of boxes of what a doctor does and who a doctor is. Um, But also B, because, you know, it can bring some complexities around doctor-patient boundaries, professionalism, um, legal, you know, issues around what you can share and what information you can and can't give as a doctor online when you're not meeting someone in that 
clinical capacity. So it's a tricky area, but for me, it, it's been a net positive. Um, I really love this side of things. And, you know, as long as, as well as my clinical work, as you say, uh, I'm still a bit of a baby on Instagram and social media, but um, I really love sharing information and, and advocating for mental health in that space. Um, over the last year in particular, uh, I've been doing a lot more work sort of with some TV segments, radio, you know, magazines, fitness content providers. Um, and for me, I'm just really passionate about advocating for mental health and breaking down some of the barriers and stereotypes. And I think in 2020 and the century, you know, the world we're in now, young people especially this is where they're getting their health information you know young people aren't necessarily going to the gp to ask about stuff they're not going to a library and pulling out a medical textbook <laughs> they're googling stuff or they're they're looking at what their their favorite influencer on instagram is saying about weight loss or mental health or gut health um and for me i think the other reason i'm really passionate about doing this stuff is because there is just a whole lot of crap out there to, to be blunt there's a whole lot of misinformation there's a whole lot of medical myths um, and there's quite dangerous information out there sometimes as well that is misleading people so for me it, it's kind of an, an added bonus and passion to the to the doctor thing um, but it's it is something that's come with a bit of heat at times um, you know I, I've done a bit of fitness stuff as well um, I dabble in a, I've dabbled in a little bit of bodybuilding and fitness modeling and stuff that's kind of outside the traditional doctor box again <laughs> you know and so for particularly maybe older doctors or the more traditional people within the medical sphere I think that's quite confronting and hard to wrap their head around so yeah there is a little bit of blowback from from medicine in terms of it starting to change but there's still some areas that are holding on to the old ways uh, mm. if that makes sense um I want to get into that area of obviously body image and mental health and mm. you know self-love and things like that but yeah, yeah. it kind of links back to what I'm going to ask you here is that I'm you probably heard about the paper that got taken down a little while ago. It was poured out that, you know, uh, how I'm going to get this completely wrong, but how paraphrase it in that it was how people perceive medical people as professional based yeah. on the photos they post. And they, yeah. you know, so that yeah. women doctors who post themselves in mm -hmm. bikinis were seen as less professional and yes. you know, all these, and they ripped it down because it was the most abhorrent yeah. type <laughs> research yeah, it was there was sexist. it was yeah. disgusting but have you found that not only from the medical profession you kind of linked it back yourself before and saying that you know you've dabbled in bodybuilding yourself in that fitness act mm -hmm. do you get any kickback when you post a, a photo of you doing a workout with the shirt off both mm. medically within your own you know peers mm. as well as the general public do you ever get comments or negative things coming back to you saying mm. you shouldn't be doing this you're a doctor or this is great yeah. because it's really a positive thing mm. like how have you seen that yeah i mean the nice thing is that i can say it's it's a mixture of both um <laughs> and probably the majority is is positive um and i think for me the reason i've started to get a little bit more into the advocacy media side of things is because i think people you know and you will know this as well mate but people don't necessarily associate fitness and bodybuilding and working out with also thinking about and talking about your mental health and emotions and touchy-feely kind of stuff so i think that jars people a little bit if they see you know at least what that i've had feedback to me is that people find it you know refreshing in some ways to, to have a, a doctor working in mental health who also you know, likes to eat weights at the gym and, <laughs> and is a bit of a, a gym rat and, and loves working out too. Um, but, th but there's definitely been blowback. Um, and I will say that most of the blowback or the, the negative opinions I've had have been from the medical world. Uh, again, because I think it's quite, you know, it's not traditional for doctors to be out there on social media or, you know, getting up on stage in a bodybuilding competition with, you know, their shirt off and, and little trunks on and, <laughs> you know, and, and I get that. Um, but I think for me, that's part of the whole fire in this for me is saying, well, you can still, you know, be a professional and you can still care about health. And especially you can still care about your mental health, but just because you look a certain way or you enjoy working out or you do certain things, that, that doesn't actually have any connection necessarily to who you are inside and what's going on in there. 
and so you know i think you brought up that study mate that that was thankfully taken down but you know a, a group of predominantly male doctors looked at female doctors private social media accounts and ripped them apart saying, you know, female doctors shouldn't have pictures of themselves at the beach in bikinis or in, in certain types of clothing, which, you know, again, we're in 2020, it's the 21st century, you know, just because a woman wears a bikini has no bearing on her professionalism, her, her work, her career, um, you know, so, the same I've always felt the same goes for me and if I'm doing a fitness modeling shoot and I don't have a top on um but yeah it's, it's a bit controversial I'll, yeah. <laughs> I'll definitely admit <laughs> at times it has been so um does the I mean your passion and want to I guess be a mental health advocate and talking about it and obviously the profession that you're in now did that come before you getting into the health space as it was and I just like to hear your two cents on being up on stage and the whole factor is someone looks at you and says that doesn't look right. And that doesn't look right. <laughs> yeah. And that kind of aspect of in the real world that you just can't do that, but in that place mm -hmm. you're doing it. Did, yeah. did you do that first? And you kind of go, hang on, this is a really weird space and I want to get into mental health or was it mm -hmm. you're at in mental health and kind of have brought that through and you use it to kind of help you through um, you know, your fitness aspects. Yeah. Um, so I've always been into sport and, and fitness and keeping active. Uh, and when I did, when, when I went through medical school, that's when I started going to the gym and, and lifting weights and working out properly. And for me, it was, it was actually funnily enough, purely a mental thing. Initially, it was my stress relief, you know, after being grilled by a boss on the hospital wards, like, like you see in Grey's Anatomy um, all day <laughs> that, you know, going for a workout after that was my way of just like getting some stress out and, and finding my happy place. Um, and then it just slowly evolved. And, and I actually sort of with a, a bit of a gentle or not so gentle push from some mates uh, entered my first bodybuilding show in my first year as a doctor so you know i would definitely say i was already very much in love with medicine and and health and being a doctor before the the real fitness and bodybuilding stuff started but you're right um i think it was something that i just personally loved doing but then while i was doing it i just got a real insight into a lot of these pressures and and potential danger points for mental health when it comes to body image, you know, weight and eating, particularly men's mental health, um, in terms of some of the guys that I was chatting to backstage, and, you know, people would say, oh, you're, you're that mental health doctor, right? Um, and so we'd get chatting, and they'd ask me about panic attacks, or they'd ask me if I thought this was a sign of depression, or, um, so that's when I actually started comboing the whole advocacy doctor stuff was because naturally people in the fitness world were just actually way more keen to talk about mental health than I thought they would be so it was it was a bit of a wake-up call for me and um, the start of the whole journey I guess. Um, I guess same question to the social media aspect that whole industry as as itself with the body physique and yeah. competitive side of it is is that a, has that been a net positive for you or a net negative experience with the the two aspects, you know, the two very mm. um, different, you know, it's obviously wanting to promote health, but it's, you know, to yes. that end degree of your perfection, uh -huh. because someone's sitting there saying, well, that's not quite right. And, like, and how that yep. can sometimes backlash for someone who might be, mm. for lack of a better word, a bit more fragile and yeah. not being able yeah. to hear that kind of feedback. And then that yep. spirals them off in a, a place, yeah. a, a, a negative place for them. Yeah. And, and that has been tricky. I'll admit to you, Adam, like there's been times where I've struggled to kind of, figure out where my balance is there you know I, I've been aware that obviously I'm really really passionate about wanting to promote mental health and healthy kind of relationships with fitness and body image and working out um, so there's been times where I've I've for example posted a, a bodybuilding shot or or a fitness modeling photo and have kind of had to catch myself and say oh you know is this sending the wrong image in terms of if people are looking at those photos um, and thinking that that's an ideal body that they might 
need to work towards or be pressured to work towards um, because I think we all know here that any of those bodybuilding shows or fitness modeling pictures you know that is not what my body or anyone's body looks like all of the time and it's not a realistic or a necessarily healthy way for your body to be um, and so I think I've just always tried to balance in, in my mind of talking openly about that and the fact that this photo, for example, is the culmination of three months of hard work and dieting and working towards a show. It's not what a body looks like all the time or should necessarily look like. Um, and just balancing that fitness side with the mental health side. And, and like I said before, for me, that is actually what I'm most fired up about. It's the fact that just because you're a bodybuilder or your body looks a certain way, that doesn't mean you're a meathead or you don't think about your emotions or look <laughs> after your mental health and vice versa. Just because you're a doctor who works in mental health and talks about touchy-feely emotions and trying to get people to open up, that doesn't mean you can't also you know, be chasing goals for your physique or looking after your fitness or your physical health as well. So for me, it is a difficult balance at times, but ultimately I, I like to think that it's bringing those two things together that is part of my whole passion and message with this stuff. Um, um, I'd love, I mean, it's a kind of good segue, I think, into the current world we live in. And uh, I've been quite vocal about the fact that I, I dislike that nowhere in the world I can see at the moment is talking about physical health and it's, it's ability to help us through this COVID situation that we're in. It's all about, let's get a vaccine. Let's lock everyone inside. Let's not worry yeah. about anything else. Yeah. That's what we've got to do. And it's a tricky subject. I'm not going to say I have the right yeah. answers. And I, I know we can't just say, just open the doors and everyone just be physically active and everything will be fine. I understand yeah. that. But the links between obviously mental health, physical health, and just health and well-being in general. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I'd just love to get your two cents from a doctor's perspective who works there. And obviously, you're in mm -hmm. a public hospital scene. I don't know if your hospital has been taking on COVID patients, but how mm -hmm. have you seen this whole COVID thing yourself? And I'd just love to get your two cents on that, but then leading into how it's then affected your patients coming yeah. in. Are you seeing more patients uh, who are dealing with mental health issues because mm -hmm. of this whole? And yeah, just to get your whole two cents on it all. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I will, I will definitely two hundred percent lead in by saying as well, mate, that um, I'm not a epidemiologist or a virologist, um, you know. So, so a lot of this stuff is so complex and complicated, and as you say, there's so many different working parts and and potential ways to attack the COVID situation and and the pandemic. And um, as you say, it's, it's just been, I think, for the whole world, including the best scientific and medical minds that we have on this planet, it's just been a bit of a grenade of a year where everyone has kind of suddenly just been trying to work this out almost as we go, you know, and whether it's been you know, the best recommendations, the best balance between lockdown and social restrictions versus mental and physical health you know, that gets hit by restrictions versus finding a vaccine. You know, it's been an incredible year for the whole medical community and scientific community to just kind of try and really scramble to piece piece together what we know and what we can do. So it's never an easy situation, but um, yeah, definitely at the hospital I've been working at, there have been patients admitted with COVID-19. There have been patients who've passed away from it, sadly. Um, and at the moment, the area of, of psychiatry that I work in is actually seeing patients struggling with their mental health on the medical and surgical wards. So uh, across the pandemic, I've actually had to personally see a number of patients with COVID or who had had COVID and some of the mental impacts that that's had on them, but also the, the mental health impacts that the pandemic, loss of work, shutting down of businesses, social isolation, the restrictions, and the impact that they have had on people's mental health too. Um, and there's, there's no doubt that it's had a significant negative impact on mental health. You know, um, Melbourne's a pretty good petri dish uh to use as an example of that because you know as as everyone will know and you'll know we've you know we've all been through the most strict sort of lengthy long down lockdown um 
anywhere in the world and some of the statistics coming out about how that's affected particularly young people's mental health is pretty frightening so depression and anxiety rates have have gone right up um, we've had more young people coming to emergency departments distressed and having self-harmed um, and these are all direct impacts of social isolation stress about the future feeling uncertain about what the future holds um, work and finances being strained for so many people and so as a mental health doctor I just think it's really important that when we're talking about how we approach COVID and the pandemic that we're including discussions just like we're having right now about the impacts that restriction and lockdown has on mental health because we need to balance things here we we 100 do not want people dying from COVID but we also need to to balance things with the impact that it has on people's lives and on their mental health not just now but for the years to come so I mean uh, that was a ramble but safe to say it's been a, a fascinating frightening exhausting time to be a mental health doctor in Melbourne this year that's for sure absolutely I mean I I've always been I, I love to document my day-to-day -day. anyone who watches my Instagram stories I'm very much open and I share my family I share my life and what I'm doing I, mm -hmm. I'm not just a I hate the word because I'm certainly not it, but I'm not just a content creator kind of thing. Mm. I just like just yep. letting people come along for my journey yeah. and where it has been. And I'm not someone that would ever say I've ever dealt with mental health issues or I have any kind of mm. issues with that. I've never thought of self-harming or anything mm. on that scale. But for someone who's had work, I, my clinic had to shut, but I've been moving it online for the last couple of years anyway. So it wasn't uh -huh. a big shift for me to kind of keep working anyway. Yeah. Um, but you know, what was meant to be six weeks turned into 15 weeks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it has certainly been tough and, you know, having the kids at home, no daycare and, yeah. you know, all of oh, those mate, things. I can't, I can't even imagine. It's been hard enough looking after myself at home, <laughs> let alone kids. It's, uh, it's been, for lack of a better word, it's been chaos at times. And I've certainly had times where I've just like, I just can't deal with this anymore. And I'm yeah. just, I've had enough. And, you know, just that absolute frustration of, you know, my head goes in crazy ways like the bloody government they're doing this to me and then the next day geez i'm so yeah. glad we've got a great gut like it's just up and yeah. down and this yeah, they yeah. shouldn't be doing this and now they should be now they're not and like all over the yeah. place and honestly mate that's that's probably the the number one thing i've heard from people in a professional context in the hospital as a mental health doctor but also talking to friends family talking to myself about how i found it um you know it's, it's that roller coaster experience um and so i've been talking a lot about what we call adjustment reactions which is when our brain is hit with just a significant sudden change in how our life normally functions the brain pretty much goes through like a bit of a a hurricane in there and and people feel up one minute down the next pissed off one minute sad and tearful the next sleeps up and down motivation's been off appetite's been up and down um, and so I think a lot of people especially in Melbourne going through this eternal lockdown have just felt like there's a bit of a roller coaster going on <laughs> up there in their head so when you describe you know your experience there I can personally relate to that too um, but yeah that's one of the biggest things I've been hearing from people and I think one of the biggest things I've been saying back is that that is absolutely normal and that is absolutely okay um, you know, this has just been a shock for the brain as much as for anything else. The, I guess the long tail of it is, and I'd love to, if you could wave a magic wand, because then at the end of the day, like, what's the answer kind of moving mm. forward? But I mean, mm. for you trying to juggle that idea of, as you said, we don't want people just like America, 240,000 people no. now. We don't yeah. want huge numbers of people dying, overrunning our health system and all of those mm. really negatives if we just let this thing run rampant. Yes. On the flip side, we don't want to lock people inside for 15 weeks mm. and then see suicide, mental health and all these other mass uh, yeah. issues come um, come around. Where do you personally, if you could wave the wand tomorrow, like, is there kind of a couple like one, two and three nuggets that you could go, well, this is where I'd start. This is my second thing. And this is what, is there something that you reckon you could just lend to that to someone listening in on this that they might be like, what do I do? Where do I go that you might have some suggestions on how you would fix it that they might be able to kind of implement some of that in their lives themselves? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, 
you know, I think in terms of how we're coping with all of this and the mental health impacts, I think the number one tip is to just acknowledge that it's a, a shitstorm of a year for want of a better word and that not feeling okay right now is actually really okay and it's really normal you know like the, the biggest thing again that I've had people saying to me and worrying about with me has been I feel like I'm losing my mind is there something wrong with me should I be feeling this way and far and away I've been just reassuring people that you know it's really to be expected that this year and with everything that you've gone through and that we're still going through you might not quite feel you know like you're hashtag blessed like a hundred percent smashing it kind of self you know and that that's okay I think just acknowledging it can actually help take some of the pressure and the weight off it because so often we feel crap or we feel anxious or we feel unmotivated and then we you know, jump in on ourselves about it and beat ourselves down. Oh, I shouldn't be feeling this way. Other people are coping. So why aren't I coping? You know, all those little things come into it and just make it worse. So I think the first big piece of advice is just to accept that it's okay to not be okay right now. And from a psychiatry doctor to you, I can 100% say that that is completely normal if, if you've been noticing that the last mm. few months or across the whole year. Um, and I think the other bits of advice which we can dig deeper into um, as well, mate, is just looking after yourself in any way that you can and locking in those health basics so it's stuff that i'm sure you you know are, are preaching uh, perfectly to, to all your clients as well mate it's about looking after your sleep right now it's about getting some physical activity every day making sure you're eating regular meals getting some social connection and even if it's not the same as it was this time last year um it's kind of just being kind to ourselves as if we had a, a cold or a head flu where we wrap ourselves up in a blanket and have some chicken soup and let ourselves wallow in man flu for a little while. You know, I think mentally at the moment for 2020, we kind of need to almost have a little bit of that same approach where we're just kind of gentle on ourselves and we just look after ourselves and lock in those basic things that keep us feeling good. Um, has, has there been any research done that you know of that has looked at, everyone always says that we're so much more connected these days because of social media mm -hmm. and that I can see what my friend is doing overseas. I can mm -hmm. always mm -hmm. keep up to that, but it's never the same as actually if I was in a room with you right now, being mm -hmm. able to feed mm -hmm. off your, your vibes, your person yeah. like, and actually yeah, feel yeah. it. Has there been any research you know of that now that we live in a zoom world or having to contact people via, you know, FaceTime or something like that, mm. does that downregulate that kind of social you know, interaction that we have and that we don't get the same kind of, you know, positive kick out of it than when you do go and see your family or friends face to face. Is there, is there a kind of change in that or a difference? Yeah. So there is research that shows that it's, it's not quite the same through a screen or through text or through the phone as it is in person, you know, because as you say, there's, there's those little kind of intricacies and complexities to being with someone in their space and physically present with them that, you know, biologically we're geared for our brain to react to those things, you know, whether it's proximity, reading body language, whether it's physical touch, um, or just being in someone's physical present, presence, sorry, we know that the way that that affects the brain in terms of the neurochemicals, oxytocin, all these different little things that come into how we feel when we have social connection, we, we definitely don't get quite the same hit uh, as when we're sort of talking over Zoom or FaceTime um, and things. So we know that, but the, the fascinating thing and the really important thing that we know is that we can also still get significant social benefits and connection through those other mediums as well. And when it comes to protecting and looking after our mental health, we do know that if people are getting, you know, um, regular connected social contact even through social media or over the phone or over a phone call uh, that that is still protective and very beneficial for looking after and protecting your mental health some tips there are to make it regular and so I've been telling people to schedule it that sounds like a pretty anal OCD doctor type thing to do but I've been saying put it in your calendar that at four o'clock every day even if it's just that you text a mate that you haven't talked to in a while schedule social contact because the benefits 
that come from not in-person social contact need to come from regular contact. The other thing is we can still get some of those same neurochemical hits and benefits if it's over a screen or over the phone when it's actual open connection the type of connection where each person feels like they're able to share how they're really feeling. People are feeling listened to, they're feeling connected and plugged in. And so it's important that, you know, if we are in social isolation or we're not able to see family because they're overseas and things, that we're actually making sure that the time we have online when we're catching up socially, I think we need to try a little bit harder to make sure that that is sort of slightly deeper than we might normally um, do it and, and that's because we need those deeper kind of level connections where we're talking about how we're really feeling we're asking each other how we're doing um, we need those things to get the biggest boosts for our mental health out of that online social connection so it's a bit of a mixed bag but overall I think it's an optimistic one to say that the research shows that we can still get a lot of positives even if it's online and by camera and things so I like, the, I like the word boost that you used before because uh, what was it Sunday when we were meant to hear, you know, lockdown's ending, we're mm. all going to go. And then that <laughs> announcement came that, no, it's yeah. not kind of thing. I was in the foulest mood yeah. after that, um, that day. So was I. Uh, <laughs> um, frustration, anger, sadness, it was all of those ones. But then it was a really weird flip. And um, I mean, this is not a political show, but I've been the biggest fan of, Dan Andrews, and I, I've, I've applauded the hard decisions I think he's had to make. I certainly don't think he's sitting in a corner stroking a cat going, oh, how can I make everyone's lives a misery here? As some people kind of tend to believe that's going I on. I mean, it's been easy to get that mental picture coming to mind sometimes, <laughs> even I'll admit, yeah. But um, when the announcement came on Monday that, look, we've had a zero, things are looking good, let's open up, and this is what will happen as of Monday – and seeing his emotion, seeing him kind of almost choke up in that um, thing as well, that sense of pride and sense of, you know, we did yeah. this together and even though yeah. there, we are, some different parties are kind of fighting against at this angle, yeah. this angle. But today just was the first day that we could get out and I saw you posted that you went for a run and you got outside and you could feel the city coming alive again. Yeah, yeah. My, yeah. my, my two girls are at home. They're not at daycare on Wednesdays. My wife is just about to finish maternity leave and it's probably the last mm-hmm. day. So just perfectly timed yeah we jumped in the car for the first time we drove somewhere we went to a cafe we got some lunch went to a park (laughs) and i was like for a moment in life i just thought it's normal again like it's just and so yeah yeah, i I felt what you said before is that that boost of just like like almost a breath of air was and life was put back into me again and i'm just like you could see as you said oh massive right yeah just i think you know, and, and I think that's been the thing as well. It's it's not so much that, you know, I think a lot of people were saying, even at the height of the restrictions, even though it was really, really hard, I think it was more the psychological impact rather than the logistical impact. You know, like I had a lot of people say to me, even patients as well, well, you know, it doesn't make that much difference to my life, really, if I can't go out after 9 p.m. to 5 a.m you know, because it's not like I'm raging out in town every (laughs) night after 9pm anyway. But I think just psychologically knowing that life is different, and we can't do certain things, and this is not allowed. That's just a big mental weight to carry around on our shoulders. And so yeah, I agree, mate. I think the just that sense of especially today, sort of seeing shops open again, seeing people sitting outside in the sun, having a plate of food and a coffee, just like a bit of like a mental exhale, you know, like all of those months of of life being so unlike what it's usually like. I think, you know, personally for me, but yeah, as you say, I think hopefully for a lot of people, even if it's in a tiny way, it's felt like a bit of a weight off the shoulders there. So yeah, it's been really, really nice to see. <laughs> where, where do we go from here? Like if you had a crystal ball, what do you think the next six months, I mean, obviously we're seeing Europe and the States obviously going through mm. a new big wage as they head into colder times again and everyone's going mm. inside and transmitting mm. this again. Like, yeah. Do we just prepare that May, June next year we do the same? Like, what do you, what what do you think is <laughs> yeah. what do you think happens over the next six months to twelve months? Is uh, from just your own perspective that you think this will kind of play out? And 
Yeah, I mean, it, I think the the annoying, probably, you know, <laughs> anticipated doctor answer is that we we just don't know, and it's it's impossible to predict in some ways. You know, I, I think the thing that we are going to have to come to terms with and become comfortable with is that life life isn't going to go back to pre-COVID times at the click of a finger. You know, I, I think it's incredible to see again that example of Melbourne reopening today and the plans over the next couple of weeks for things to slowly open more but I think there are aspects of our life that for the foreseeable six months 12 months maybe even longer are going to need to be different to try and and do everything we can to avoid the, the Europe situation where, where we get another wave that forces us back into full lockdown. And I think that's going to obviously involve things to do with masks, social distancing. It, it means we still need to be pretty vigilant with things like hand hygiene. Obviously the whole travel kind of game is going to change. I think for the next at least a year, if not far, far longer, um, you know, so I think we're just going to have to make little shifts and adjustments mentally and physically with life to try and do what we can in the city and the region that we're from to, to keep, you know, our city and, and the vulnerable people, you know, who are vulnerable to COVID in our city as safe as we can. So that's going to be a difficult adjustment too. But, you know, I think the, the amazing thing is that you know, like I say, like Dan Andrews choking up a bit, you know, with pride about how hard it's been, but how amazing a job everyone's done pushing through this lockdown. You know, I think Melbourne and Australia and New Zealand, I'll give my, I'll give my homes, uh, my homeland a plug. Uh, <laughs> it's been amazing, you know, to see what our countries have been able to do and, and that what we've sacrificed over the last six months or so to get to the point to where we're at now. And I think steering the course with some of those things is going to be part and parcel of trying to make sure we don't have to lock down and go back mm. into full curfew mode and everything again. You, you touched, yeah, very yeah. <laughs> fingers crossed. Absolutely. You touched on the vulnerable and I'd love to just kind of touch on that bit because we spoke mm. about it before with, you know, taking care of your health mm. for people out there who might still be feeling very anxious about this yeah. whole COVID situation and, if they get it, what will happen to them? And they see, you know, oh, it's 99%, you know, you know, success rate, you know, you're going to be fine. It's fine. Yeah. But these vulnerable, there's a very high death rate. So yeah. what can people do both mentally and physically on your standpoint mm -hmm. um, to do the best prepare their bodies? Should they come in contact with it? And they're going to get it that mm. fingers crossed, they get the positive outcome and not have to be hospitalized or for worse yeah. um, die from uh, COVID. What, what would be your kind of mm -hmm. yeah tips on that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's what we know is that people, obviously, people who are of an older age are much more vulnerable to getting severe COVID infection and to, to dying, unfortunately. Uh, and then we also know people with certain long term health conditions, particularly conditions that affect the immune system, the lungs and the heart, those people are, are really vulnerable to the to the infection as well. So I think for those people, it's about working with your doctor um, to optimize those conditions and, and do what you can to keep yourself kind of as protected as you can be. And I think for other people, it's still knowing that, you know, much, much less, thank God, you know, much rarer, but even for young people with no vulnerabilities or illnesses at all, there have still been cases where those people have gotten severe infections and unfortunately passed away. So I don't think there's necessarily one thing we can do to protect ourselves, but, but looking after our health in general at the moment, you know, I think there is signs that that is obviously a protective factor. So it's about optimizing and staying plugged in with your doctor when it comes to any chronic health conditions you have um, and make, you know, and, oh, sorry, mate. No, you're right. <laughs> Blanked out there for a second. <laughs> and um, it's about knowing as well, I think that, that, you know, if you're protecting your sleep, looking after what's going into your body food wise diet wise you know some regular activity you know that i think just focusing on those basics for your health at the moment is really really vital too um just to clear up maybe a couple of myths because i'm sure you've mm. had many questions come to you and say hey I doc i heard stuff. Yeah. i i heard that if i 
inject this on the seventh shade of the moon that I'm going to be cured of, you know, have, has there been any r- really out there kind of ones? And then if you could share maybe some of the common ones that people come across of not only the myths, but some things that they may have heard that actually is um, of value to them. And, you know, mm-hmm. I hear things about vitamin D and magnesium and zinc, you know, these mm-hmm. kinds of things. Are they, yes, still get, make sure we're there. And, and then other ones, as I said, just some really out mm-hmm. there ones that you may have come across that, you know, someone's asked you about. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's been some doozies, mate. Like, and and initially in the pandemic, I think that's when a lot of these were really coming forth. Um, and so it's been nice to see that as things have progressed, there's been less kind of complete rubbish getting thrown out there on social media and things. But initially, yeah, it was really concerning. Um, and again, that brings me back to the the point of doctors on social media and in the media I think have done an amazing job of of kind of pushing back on some of those things um, because there's even been sort of pretty high profile celebrities and influencers and things sharing some of these just outrageously medically incorrect theories about COVID. Um, You know some of my favorites have been obviously that 5G, 5G (laughs) towers were spreading COVID and you know, that COVID virus was able to ride radio waves to different countries on 5G. That's absolute rubbish, obviously. <laughs> um, what else? There, there was something making the rounds that uh, a keto diet might be able to protect you from getting coronavirus. So if you were on a keto diet, you didn't have to wear a mask or wash your hands or socially distance. Uh, that is unequivocally not true. Um, <laughs> Why? Like what? What part of the keto diet were they saying was protective? Like what? Well, so they there was a study actually done in rats where they they looked. It was one study with a small number of rats. So again, there's already red flags there. Um, but they looked at uh, rats who were given a keto diet whether they were uh, more able to shake a virus. So it wasn't even the COVID virus. And so this guy posted up on social media about the fact that, hey, scientists have figured out that if you feed a rat a keto diet, it's immune to COVID. And then as it does, social media twists and turns that into, hey, humans should be on a keto diet and it'll save you from coronavirus. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, complete rubbish. you know, and there's been a whole lot of other stuff, hasn't there, mate? You know, and I think a lot of it's been about social restrictions and there's been a bit of a political edge to it too. Um, you know, there's been concerning myths about, you know, masks causing reinfection of the body with your own COVID. Um, you know, that there's political agendas and that this is manufactured in a lab and purposefully spread, um, you know, as an economic kind of plot by <laughs> leaders of different countries, you know, and, and obviously I'm not a politician or an, an economist, I'm a doctor, but, you know, I can say that there is <laughs> there is zero medical evidence to support any of these these kind of schemes and, and conspiracy plots that have been thrown out there. Um, and, you know, the concerning thing for me has been the fact that especially early in the pandemic, I think a lot of these myths and, and things just perpetuated the anxiety and uncertainty that everyone was feeling. Um, so I'm very, very glad to, to, to say that I haven't seen um, any other sort of shocking social media myths <laughs> or conspiracy theories for a while now, which is nice. Excellent. Well, um, I think that kind of wraps up where, um, you know, I'd love to just as a crescendo kind of come to it all. And I think, you know, you've touched on some really interesting points there, especially around the, the mental health that not only this time that we're in, but just in general, I, I think you've hit on a lot of you know, really key nuggets that I think people can walk away with. And again, I really appreciate your time. I know how busy anyone is, but especially uh, the medical fraternity at the moment uh, in all ways, shapes and forms uh, are run off their feet with uh, all different angles. So yeah, really appreciate your time and uh, jumping in with us today, mate. Thank you so much, mate. I've loved it. And um, like you say, some really, really awesome questions there and got me thinking as well. But, you know, just so humbled to have, you know, especially as you say, coming from the exercise physiology and, and the fitness and the physical health world, you know, some so humbled to have you know, people like yourself reaching out, wanting to, to, to broach these kind of chats about the mental side of things, because it's incredibly important. Um, and I guess for me, you know, I always like to end by saying, you know, if, if anyone listening to this, whether you're a man, a woman, a child, whatever, um, 
I think, you know, it's about knowing that right now it's okay to not be feeling 100% okay when it comes to your mental health um, and, and that there's never any weakness or shame in, in opening up about that and reaching out for help because there's, uh, there's quacks like me out there <laughs> working day in, day out to be, you know, helping people who are struggling with what we've gone through this year. And, and so reach out um, and it's, it's just as important as what's going on with your physical body too. So no, it's been a pleasure, mate. And thank you. Thank you so much for having me. No, excellent. Well, um, as I said, uh, I'll get all of your details should people want to contact you. And I'm sure um, they'd be more than, uh, you would be more than happy to, uh, you know, help in any way yeah. you can or direct them uh, where they are. So guys in the show notes below, if you want anything uh, to do with Kieran at all, uh, they'll be in there. Um, he might be able to send you in certain directions that could uh, lead you to certain information or himself might be able to help out um, as well. But if you don't mind me indulging uh, just in the last bit, Matt, um, I was put my guests through a quick fire five. So I'll put you in the hot seat and uh, ask you my quick fire five. Uh, let right. me bring the questions up. Super simple questions, not as hard hitting as uh, they might seem. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not in a medical exam, am I? No, definitely not. <laughs> um, all right. Yes. Plug my phone in actually, mate. So no worries. <laughs> sorry for the weird angle of the camera. <laughs> The, uh, the viewers of YouTube uh, might uh, enjoy this last angle then. So. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, first thing that comes to mind, beach or snow? Beach. If you could go to one event, future or past, which way would you go and what would the event be? Oh, future, all four Grand Slams in one year. I'm, I'm obsessed with tennis. So. <laughs> oh. We'll have to talk more about that off air. Right? I'm, a, I'm a tennis nut myself as well. So. Hey. Um, don't have to worry about caloric intake or nutritional value. One food for the rest of your life. What do you have? Oh, mum's apple crumble. I think. Is there cream or cream custard or ice cream on top of it? Um, or all three? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a sweet tooth, so I'm going to say all three because that Perfect. sounds bloody good. <laughs> Perfect. Um, family friend, famous, dead or alive, who would you like to have dinner with tonight? Uh, I would actually. This is gonna. This is so classic. People are gonna be like, Ugh. "I would love to have dinner with Freud," uh, just because I feel like I've spent so much of my life studying so much of his, <laughs> some good stuff, some crap stuff, and so I would just love to pick his brain and hit him up about certain things. So. Amazing. No, good answer. Um, I want you to go super selfish. You've already said goodbye to your family. You've got twenty four hours left on this earth. You can do anything you want. What do you do for that last 24 hours? Ooh, well, I'd have to get a workout in. I think that's, that's, um, that's standard, but I don't know. I think I would God, go somewhere like Vegas actually, and just have a bloody blowout and just uh, <laughs> see, see the end out in, in style. I think. <laughs> Fantastic answer. You can certainly get that done very easily in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, Kieran, again, mate, thank you so much for your time. Um, I think it's been invaluable, not only for me, but I'm sure anyone listening in um, has certainly found some value and some nuggets they can take away with uh, just trying to deal with the world that we're in um, at the moment, just a little bit easier. And um, as you said, just if it's not relieving that entire pressure off the shoulder, even if it's 5%, it allows you to breathe that little bit easier and um, you can get through the day just that little bit better and uh, get on to tomorrow and keep taking a step forward. So yeah, thank you so much, right? No, no worries, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure. And yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. I think any, every little bit helps and it just fills the cup. So even if it's a tiny weight off the shoulders right now, yeah, I'm just wishing everyone in Melbourne all the best. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm bloody excited about it myself as well. So Excellent. <laughs> it keeps going that way. <laughs> couldn't agree more. Well, guys, that's been another episode of the Let's Talk Fast podcast. I can't wait to talk to you all again next week. Thanks for listening and I'll talk to you again. Bye.